0: Welcome back. Welcome, all of our of our loyal listeners, all of our Patreon listeners. You have made this possible. The dream has finally come true, and uh, we di- we watched Ronaldo and Clara, and we did it—the it- thi-
1: thing that everyone has been clamoring for for a year. <laughs> At
0: least fifty people, because that was <laughs> our deal. If we got fifty Patreon subscribers, then we would watch the the long movie. Yes. And here we are uh, once
1: again with, uh, I think at this point, the uh, official Mr. Movies of Jokerman podcast.
0: (laughs) Yeah, that's that's probably true. It's Will Sloan.
2: What an honor. Uh, Yeah, thanks for having me here. And uh, I got to say, I think I'm definitely um, in over my head here with this movie. (laughs) I felt pretty confident talking about Masked and Anonymous, but this one, a little harder to connect with. I
0: think that we all feel that way, if I can speak yes. for Ian. And um, hopefully, uh, w- between the three of us, um, three men of average intelligence uh, you know, <laughs> we, to above average, maybe we can come out of this with some really great insights. Even the Village Voice, actually, when this came out, they, I think, too, probably were stumped enough to um, decide to have sort of a committee approach to their review. There's... Uh, <laughs> ian showed me this earlier it, seven ways to view ronaldo and clara is the way that the village voice um approached the film and it, it, its reviews um and it's really more like seven different ways to p- piss and shit all over this movie <laughs> yes was, these, well just these the fact
2: like, that they got seven perspectives is one of the more generous i think uh receptions that the film got because mo- <laughs> exactly. most of the reviews at the time pauline kales you know whoever else reviewed it were were very caustically negative and i think i mean it, pretty much everything dylan has done or almost everything he's done has been reclaimed by someone and this movie has its fans but not not a lot uh,
0: i mean i i would agree with you except uh Every one of these seven reviews is like one includes like one line at least that's one of the meanest things I've ever read. <laughs> like I, I'm not even kidding like it's I've got a cultural I've critics a, don't get mad like this anymore they just really yeah. don't yeah
1: the venom the venom that you got back in those days is just completely gone at this point. Uh, just as a sample uh, I encourage everyone to take a look at this we'll tweet it out or something along with this episode but uh, uh, Mark Jacobson's review begins I wish Bob Dylan died. Then Channel 5 would piece together an instant documentary on his life and times the way they did Hubert, Chaplin, and Hitler. Just the immutable facts, seeing all those immutable facts about Elvis made his dying worthwhile.
0: There's the other one that says um, Sarah D, uh, of course, Sarah Dillon, who makes her uh, film debut in, in the movie, is a graduate of the Copacabana School of Dramatic Arts. Every word, every gesture is tinny and coarse. When she runs her hand lovingly through Dylan's celestial curls, you want to look away. It's like watching a hooker stroke her jaw.
2: <laughs> oh Yeah.
0: And, of course, the, uh, the, the one that you just were quoting from, that guy, Jacobson, he was just, like, on one. Um, this is the last I'll read of these, uh, but it just really goes. Um, here we are. Unfortunately... Rinaldo and Clara goes on for three or four more weeks, and although it doesn't get any more specific, the following are painfully revealed. All Indians and Hadassah ladies are fat. Allen Ginsberg is completely insipid. Bob Dylan is the skinniest Jew living. Reuben Carter was a bore and probably killed those people. (laughs) Dylan had a perfectly good reason to beat Sarah. She being as whiny a hippie as any... Gibrian quoter. Dylan is totally bored of all his songs, or else he wouldn't up tempo. Black is the color, none is the number. Dylan's concept of matched cuts would give him a B at NYU Film School. And after twenty years, I still hate Joan Baez.
2: Wow, I don't know if I can get on board with all that. I no, guess, so. no, I I'm
0: <laughs> quoting just to give a sense of the the um what's the word I could say energy that this (laughs) film inspired in
1: let me stress jokerman podcast firmly against domestic violence
2: yeah
0: and also i don't know that we uh i don't want to say that reuben carter let's just not even touch that yeah we're
1: gonna (laughs) we're gonna leave that one aside yeah um you know it just uh some of the some of this uh, criticism is maybe a little over the top uh you know i think that is a great example of what uh of what might be considered over the top in this day and age. But I think at the same time, it is also interesting to see the level of um, skepticism, I guess we might be able to phrase uh, or call it, um, uh, that cultural critics had back in those days uh, towards one of the towering kind of voices of the era. Like you just can't, we were texting about this a little bit uh, earlier, Evan. Um, uh, You just, you you don't see anyone um, you know, attacking uh, a whoever, a Taylor Swift or something along these lines, uh, the same way that Bob is just getting absolutely savaged by these uh, these voice critics at this That's point. That's true,
2: I- although t- oftentimes, I mean, maybe Taylor Swift hasn't received it, but oftentimes, like, serious artists in their mid-career get a certain amount of backlash. Like, right. Off the top of my head, like, David Lynch is someone who experienced, like, a very extreme like fallow period in his critical reception before like uh, the uh,
1: dune the dune era
2: I was thinking more like twin peaks firewalk with me lost sure. highway like he got a lot of he got a lot of reviews that are kind of like that kind of the like buyer's remorse right. like like oh uh maybe this is actually just a big old fraud that we all got hoodwinked on and i i guess bob dylan at the time too like You know, a lot of people loved him when they were kids, and you kind of, um, you know, a lot of these are culture critics who grew up with him, and oftentimes you turn against the things you loved when you grew up
1: exactly yeah you almost think that this is a little bit like performative it's 1978 when this movie comes out right so like you know bob has just put out street legal he's doing that weird tour with the big band and a lot of people are very skeptical of that punk is ascendant and that's the hottest thing and bob just kind of feels like a fossilized remainder of this this era that is impossibly long uh, possibly far back in in the past even though it was only you know nine years or something since he was putting out Um, or 10 years since he was putting out his big sixties records. Um, and so a lot of this I think is, is sort of just like, you know, um, uh, like backlash undeserved. So,
0: well, here's, um, here's one more piece from the village voice thing, a different writer. Um, the people in this movie who made such gripping music in the sixties no longer exist as a cultural force. They are phantoms who continue to live and work and therefore must face the painful process of separating their craft from its erstwhile public aspirations. That the hipster folky milieu, which merged with Anglo blues to create what was later called progressive rock, no longer feeds the mainstream of popular music, means that its practitioners are free to recover their identities." and their identities are every bit as quirky as Dylan presumes them to be. They are vulnerable, insufferable, deceitful, indulgent, and terribly regional, more so now that their hold on the American dream life is so tenuous. I think that that kind of goes to what you were just saying um, about at least one thing that I felt watching this. I don't know if you did feel this, but um, it is a little depressing. Like, it does kind of take away... Some of the magic that is inherent in the performances that we know from this era to like watch this movie unfold and think about it being made, and yeah. maybe that's yeah, kind of what Bob. Was, maybe that's what Bob was trying to do. You know, like <laughs> um, trying. So, like it would be. A Seems fe- unlikely. Well, it, it does, but it also is coming from the same guy who made self portrait, which is like sort of the album version and a much more successful thing ultimately, but similarly like baffling at the time, similarly uh, a hodgepodge of various m- modes and styles as like an artistic product. The difference being, um, Bob Dylan, it turns out is, um, good at music. Um, he's, he's good at music instead of yeah. film.
1: Yeah. The onscreen, uh, uh, uh Um, efforts, maybe not quite so much. We can probably get into the movie itself. Well,
2: I I would just add to what the last thing you read from the Village Voice, it seems like that piece is reviewing, almost reviewing the time that Dylan came from, as much as it's reviewing Dylan's film. Mm -hmm. And I do think that there is kind of like an air of failure or an air of, of sadness to the film, just as there was to... I mean, I know that the Rolling Thunder review was Dylan emerging from this long period of uh, relative reclusion and domesticity. You know, he kind of came back into the public eye, and um, but, but probably by the time that he did, his, his whole public persona would have been haunted by everything from, like, his decision to go electric, you know, the breakup with Joan Baez, and maybe... A perceived failure of the promise of the '60s that he seemed to represent, like, right. like his very his career trajectory would almost seem to like, maybe for some writers at the time, would have seemed to embody something of the lost promise of the mm. 1960s.
1: Exactly,
2: and you can see a lot of that in this movie in those scenes of like him kind of puttering around <laughs> with Joan Baez and Sarah Dillon. Um, th- there's there's a lot of there's a lot of sadness to that. Yeah, there's
0: um, something definitely to be read into which I'm sure we'll get into a little bit more, but I was thinking about what it was that he was going for with positioning Sarah and Joan as like the, the two who are vying for his attention because they seem to b- represent maybe something about that time that you were just talking about or the, about that um that dynamic of like the the 60s when they were at their most vital versus the pull of um, other cultural and forces or like the pull of his, of toward a domestic life. I don't know. And I'm, I don't pretend to have figured it out, but uh, I guess, yeah, we can.
2: Certainly they are used symbolically and Baez would have carried a lot of cultural baggage,
0: yeah, um, and not to yeah. mention is carried in that room a lot of weird baggage. To like, film, film that scene must have been weird. Um, yeah,
1: that, that that scene there, the climax of the movie. Yeah, we sh- we should probably like try to give some sort of like summary of what's going on here. Uh, so, without any further ado, it's a little sharp. Uh, so, Ronaldo and Clara is a movie made by Bob Dylan. Uh, directed by Bob Dylan, uh, starring Bob Dylan, uh, but Bob Dylan is not playing Bob Dylan. He's playing Ronaldo. Another guy actually is playing Bob Dylan in this one. Ronnie Hawkins plays the role of Bob Dylan.
0: Another musician,
1: yes, another musician. Um, and as best I can tell, you guys can kind of chime in here uh, along with me as I'm trying to vaguely summarize what's going on. This is sort of like a a three pronged approach uh, to what's going on here, right? So there's the there's the concert footage, the Rolling Thunder footage. It's just live footage of Bob and the Band playing on the Rolling Thunder tour much of which has been seen in much higher fidelity and uh, quality in the Sorcesi doc from a couple years ago since then um then we also have this sort of like um you know verite documentary of all of these creeps and geeks on tour uh just kind of backstage setting up tour stops uh walking around in graveyards in the case of Bob and ginsburg at Carowac um, and just grave, kind of yeah the Carowax Grave, yeah, just kind of muttering to themselves without <laughs> much uh, uh, direction forward, uh, forward direction whatsoever. Uh, and then there's also these improvised scenes of quote unquote fiction uh, that we were just talking about a moment ago. Um, the Bob, Sarah, Joan one being kind of the the most striking example um, that are just like sort of like uh, slightly based on songs of Bob's. Um, from, you know, his catalog in the past, I think there's a, there's a clear like kind of juxtaposition between a lot of these scenes and the songs that come on right after, like the live footage that comes on right after, or the song that plays on in the background in the, in some cases. Um, but, um, yeah, again, there, there's not really much of a narrative there, uh, even in the fictional elements. It kind of seems like someone just started rolling with the camera and they had some very basic idea of what they were going to do. And then whatever they did, they did. And then, you know, there's a hundred hours of footage and it just all got kind of chopped up. Um, yeah. This, I yeah. mean,
2: this isn't a very original insight, but clearly a lot of the the appeal or the intended appeal of this movie, as well as the Rolling Thunder review tour in general, was this kind of freewheeling interplay of art and life I know reading about this film that Dylan drew a lot of inspiration from the Italian tradition of commedia dell'arte. Yeah. Uh, He, he also
0: just, we've spoken recently a lot on the pod about his sort of obsession with carnivals and the, and theatrics of like traveling performers of all kinds. mm -hmm. And that, that seems to line up with, of course, the more European sensibility of, it's funny to think about Bob Dylan and Commedia dell'arte, but
2: there it is. <laughs> I mean, there are a mishmash of styles here. I understand that in various interviews or conversations he said that he was influenced by movies like Shoot the Piano Player, kind of French new wave stuff. He was inter- he was influenced by Children of Paradise, the uh, the classic French film. Have you seen that? Oh, a long time ago, but I don't remember it all that well. I, I, I think the main source of influence was the white face that he has on right, during right. the uh, performances. I, it feels a lot like kind of one of the underground movies that would have been playing in New York like 10 years before this movie was made. Right. You know, a lot of rambly scenes of people in an apartment. Uh, I get a sense that Dylan was less a director of the film than than its host, Like, a lot of what we see in the film was shot without his involvement. There are camera crews that were going on this tour, like, all the time, filming all sorts of things. And even though this movie looks really larky and thrown together, I read in Clinton Halen's biography of Dylan that apparently Dylan put a lot of very genuine and sustained work into it. Clinton Halen calls it... The most sustained, disciplined work he had ever done or would ever do. You know, like laboring over the editing table for a year and a That's half. Really interesting.
0: Wow,
1: it's insane. Yeah, because basically, I mean, this is this comes out in '78. Bob is completely fallow creatively from the release of Desire record up until this film kind of comes out at the beginning of '78. Street Legal comes out. You know, shortly thereafter. Uh, but this was this was really kind of like the entirety of his focus for like two years simultaneous with his marriage to Sarah kind of collapsing at the same time. Maybe you can read a little something into that. You know, the general bad vibes of this movie are kind of coming out of the bad vibes of his life at the same time. Remember, someone also died. um, uh, I think the drummer he was working with at Rundown uh, while he was recording uh, Street Legal died of a heroin overdose in the middle of that. Just kind of a dark period in general. Um, I understand
2: uh, that neither Sarah Dillon nor Joan Baez had a very good time making this movie. Yeah, you don't say. It doesn't seem
0: like it. Um, I mean, it is interesting that uh, one of the songs that uh, appears or floats over the movie at various points is Ballad in Plain D, a song yes. which but is... not by it, Bob. It's no, not by, by someone yes, else. Yeah, but nonetheless, it's like a song that is extremely personal. Um, one of the most personal Bob Dylan songs which mines his own romantic turmoil for like everything it's worth. Uh, and one that Dylan has apparently expressed regret about ever recording because of that, because it's too autobiographical. So yeah, maybe importantly it's, it's included, but performed by somebody else. And the whole movie seems to be maybe some kind of thinly veiled way of doing the same, uh, with with whatever was going on with his marriage or something, although so much of it is from 1975 when um, you know the, the marriage had not totally gone Collapsed its course. Quite, yeah. uh, it, it's it's
2: interesting to think about in that way as well. Well, I know from. Um no, I'm. Uh, i i don't i don't know um i <laughs> i i don't know at all but the sense that i got from the martin scorsese documentary like the martin scorsese documentary about the rolling thunder review is much more joyous than this is right and i think as well i mean it's been a long time since i've read it but larry uh, Ratso Sloman's book Knocking on Dylan's door, I think it's called. It was mm-hmm. like uh, maybe that. Maybe that's what it was called. I can't remember. But he wrote a book about um, the Rolling Thunder Review that was kind of like the definitive document of of the tour. And both those things paint this picture of it as being this kind of like wild, freewheeling, artistic experiment. Um, and I I don't think you get a great sense from Ronaldo and Clara like, first of all, what the tour was, what the point of it was, and you right. don't get the sense of it as being a really positive experience. There are a lot of fragments that we kind of see fleshed out in the Scorsese documentary. There's, for example, uh, like one scene uh, involving some Native Americans that they meet, which, you know, that's right. fleshed out in the Scorsese documentary. And he plays that this- uh,
0: drunken Ira Hayes.
2: They're uh, the ballad of Ira Hayes, rather, right. to them. And the Reuben Carter section of Ronaldo and Clara, I think, kind of strikes a strange note, like it's this weird digression. A lot of it involves man-on-the-street interviews with just various black people. Um, uh yeah just being like
0: do and, you know about this and one
1: like 70 year old cop from long island also <laughs> who decides yeah. not to offer his uh, opinion because he's afraid of getting punched by people surrounding him I-,
2: I hope it's not an incredibly basic opinion to say that i preferred the scorsese documentary no for, no that's a normal uh, opinion that
0: everyone who like is normal in a and i don't mean that i just mean scorsese is good at making movies that are really entertaining to watch like
2: yeah and that put put this thing in some context without, like, like I like the way that that film opens with sort of some attempt to, first an attempt to situate this tour within the context of the American Bicentennial and this idea that, well, somehow this tour is getting back to America's roots in some way and it's it's reclaiming America. But then there's that interview with Dylan at the start where he says something like, yeah, that's not really what it was about. It wasn't really about anything. <laughs> so, like, like I, I felt Scorsese did a pretty good job. Um, contextualizing what the tour, like the ostensible meaning of the tour and then getting into whatever actual meanings it had. Right, yeah. In I'll a way that this doesn't.
1: <laughs> it, this very much does not. I want to go back and rewatch that now. I, I haven't seen it, I think, since it originally came out. Yeah, we are going to get to it eventually. Have you seen it recently, Will?
2: No, I saw it when it came out, but yeah. not since. yeah.
1: Yeah, I feel like that is like uh, I don't know. Uh, I'm gonna have a deeper understanding of it or a, a, a broader appreciation, perhaps, after after witnessing this. Um, cause that because the whole like you know Sharon Stone thing and the fictionalized element of that really didn't like. I didn't understand what was happening initially, but now after seeing this, which is like a, it, it almost seems like it's like Sorcesi trying to rhyme with Ronaldo and Clarett. Right? Well,
0: it's like the only way to do this this. Uh topic justice no matter what you're doing it seems like there's no direct way to to attack it like it always has to have some kind of weird meta textual twist whether it's scorsese or this movie or i mean even just the shows themselves it's like kind of unclear like what what uh why is he why does he have that makeup on like why it's like sort of a costume but it's like it's not like he's fully committing to like a kiss-like bit, you know. Uh, <laughs> he's was,
2: a shaman, right? Like yeah. Like he's some well, sort he's of got, primal storyteller.
0: He's got Ginsburg uh, in tow. So, of course, like that makes sense that maybe the vibe is getting kind of ginsburg Ginsburgian, you could say. Mm-hmm. Sure.
2: Um, well, l- let's talk about something that I think maybe we can all agree on, which is that the music is good. Yes. When it appears, yeah. <laughs> when, when when it appears, and I I had the misfortune of watching this in the only version that I think is available, which is some S- same. <laughs> ta- it's, it's like taped off TV, and it's an Umpteenth Generation dub, and there are occasional like commercial bumpers that pop up. Wait,
0: was this the one that? Because I think we watched the same version, which also features that screen that's like a title card, which just sometimes yeah. appears and says Ronaldo yeah. and Clara. <laughs> yeah. I, I like that. It's, it's good in a... Th- 4 hour movie to be reminded of like, with, as you're nodding off and like getting jolted awake by occasional <laughs> stirring musical moments you're like oh right this is a movie that man that's that's what i'm Ronaldo watching yeah
2: it's great to have that to Claire. give the illusion that there's some structure here that somebody is at the wheel that is the main plot <laughs>
0: is um occasionally uh the title card comes up yes um you know what movie i uh, actually thought of quite a bit while watching this was nashville the Robert Altman film.
2: Another bicentennial classic. Yes,
0: and one which is similar in a lot of ways um, and different in a lot of ways. It's similar in that it's a movie about the music business, about people making music, about some kind of big festivity happening, various festivities, various shows, and country music and people talking over each other, of course, it's, like, one of Robert Altman's best movies, I think, anyway. And, like, it's really a fun, engaging movie to watch. But uh, it, it might be a good, I would say, double bill with this. But, like, I won't, won't say that. <laughs> but uh, it's its just an interesting way to maybe... It might be cool to watch that and then watch this and have your subconscious fill in some gaps. Because there's, there's something to that movie that I think... Um, Gets it? Maybe certain things. This was going for.
2: Well, there are bo- They're both films. I think that attempt to capture America at at two hundred and all of her motley glory, or something like that. Right. Um. I mean, I think Altman and company probably had a little. You know, even though it's a big sprawling tapestry movie, probably had, were a little more focused um, in what they were doing. I think this movie. There's some awkwardness that comes in Ronaldo and Clara uh, from a lot of parts that don't quite fit together. I don't think that... Well, I I think that Dylan is trying to, like, encapsulate America in some way, like, with the Reuben Carter stuff, with the stuff about the Native Americans, uh, with many scenes. But then he's also, like, dealing with his own history and his own image. Uh, Like, there's... um, a scene that we keep coming back to of, um, Oh God, who, who the hell is it? Um, the, the guy whose name I'm forgetting, uh, the guy playing pinball. Yeah. The guy playing pinball. That's David uh, David blue, David blue, Blue. who actually ended up, uh, dating Sarah
0: Dylan in the eighties. And then he passed away of a heart attack very abruptly in 1982. Um, he was a friend of Dylan's from the folky days. And, uh, he, yeah, is playing pinball and uh, is reminiscing about that quite a bit.
2: Well, I hope Bob was okay with that relationship. You know, I hope their friendship was able to survive uh, becoming Eskimo buddies. Right. Uh, <laughs> no, that that death and
0: that whole uh, that whole Eskimo buddy situation actually inspired. Um, I don't know
2: what record came out in '82. Yeah, infidels. Yeah. yeah,
1: yeah. That's the that's this that's the genesis of Joker Man. But
2: yeah, the, the, all of the all the stuff with Joan Baez and Sarah Dillon and Bob, where he's playing Ronaldo. By the way, I don't know if I don't know if we mentioned that he's plays yes. Ronaldo and Sarah plays a Clara. woman named Clara. Clara and Joan Baez is the mysterious woman in white, and they yes. have all of these very murky and rambly conversations together. There is a certain Kind of a menage a trois energy to their scenes. Uh, it it always looks like it could it could go in that direction, but it doesn't. One of the writers called it a fuckless porno.
0: <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, it, it looks like yeah, it actually does look like the sort of porno that would have been made like around that time in the basement of of somebody's building in New York, and like shot on eight millimeter. And you've, you're That's,
0: quite the scholar of this this type of film. Uh, Oh, gosh, who understand. isn't these
2: days, you know? <laughs> uh, um, but, yeah, if you pay close attention to their dialogue, uh, there's there's a very significant moment where Baez says to Dylan something like, what would have happened if we ever got married? And he says to her something like, I married the woman I loved. And, uh, you know, all of that is, I guess, sort of interesting. Like, if, if you're a Dylan fan, you can't help but be interested by these scenes. But... While Dylan has always been a very savvy manipulator of his public image, and he knows how significant a scene like this would be for that public image, he's like, he he never gives you the goods. He never gives you the raw, unguarded conversation. And, uh, you know, it's his opacity, his aloofness. These are some of the things that make him very fascinating as a public figure, but don't make him ideally suited to being an actor, I think.
1: Yeah, on that note, it's it. There's there's this amazing just kind of contrast I think between the live footage uh, and you know the music that is sh- so energetic and just like really jumps off the screen. Even as shitty as this, you know, uh, eight eight times taped over VHS copy of this is the the performances still really come through. And obviously we saw what those actually look and sound like on the Sorsese doc. Mm-hmm. Um, the juxtaposition between that and then Bob's like you know quote unquote effort as an on-screen actor where he's just this like he's almost catatonic like he he can't speak correctly he's never looking at anyone he's like looking at the ground and looking away and like kind of talking out of the side of his mouth there's this just like the all the energy that's there inside him when he's on stage in the white face is just completely drained out of him in the like kind of behind the scenes you know quote unquote story sections of this movie. Uh, I don't know if he if that was a conscious effort of his uh, 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 on his part, um, or if that's just kind of how it came out. You know, he was spending so much energy on stage every night that he just didn't have enough to give uh, at any other times. But like, even when he's walking around with Ginsburg, when um, they're they're like kind of having you know uh, just some dude time, uh, and Ginsburg is talking about all the graves that he's visited and stuff. Bob is just like, "Yeah, I uh, I visited Victor Hugo's grave." and that's like all he says.
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, as a performer, like we all know what an aloof and opaque guy he can be as an interview subject, as a performer he often like really expresses himself sometimes to a fault in in his musical performances. Like uh, I'm I'm sure you remember some of the scenes in Don't Look Back where he's you know, playing uh, "Blowing in the wind or some of like the ones, some of the songs that he's really like grown tired of. And he just like, cannot get through those songs quick enough. He's so bored, Mm -hmm. gives no passion. But then you see like that famous footage of when he's playing like a rolling stone and the guy in the audience calls him Judas. And then he launches into this song. He's so angry and he has such like fire in his belly. And, and he, 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 it's this like primal, uh, rendition of this song or then like later on in the 90s he did this performance at the grammys when he got a lifetime achievement award uh where i think it was was, like the gulf war was happening at the time and basically everyone who was going to be there for his tribute didn't show up because the gulf war was happening so he sort of expressed his anger about this situation through his performance of masters of war and i mean if you've ever seen him in concert, you'll know that like one night can be completely different from another night. Um you know, he, uh, and in this in this uh, concert footage, I mean it's it's amazing to see like he he's a much more versatile performer. There's so many more like persona in his toolbox to mix my metaphors than you might <laughs> expect. Um it, it's interesting to see this kind of like very energetic, very intense you know, like I said, shamanistic persona that he's created. Uh, But again, you don't see any of this like range, range of persona and depth of feeling in any of his acting roles. And I guess it's just, he's more comfortable expressing himself in certain ways than others. An interesting
0: uh, wrinkle to this, something I read in an interview um, with, uh, between Dylan and Ginsburg about the movie. Um, Ginsburg says, would you call it a visionary documentary? Very Allen
2: Ginsberg question. And then did he say no? I mean, that's such a leading well, question. Of course, of course, he said no.
0: <laughs> he said, "But no documentary pret- pretends toward objective reality. This pretends toward truth." Ginsberg said. So, how would you sum it all up? And here we go. This is how Dylan sums up the movie: Ronaldo's intense dream and his conflict with the present. That's all the movie's about. So that I was wondering what that could possibly mean, but I think maybe you hit on something interesting there. Well, because the, the difference between his performance, uh, in, in the musical sections and his, his performance in air quotes, like when he's acting is so stark that, um, that quote starts to maybe become a little bit interesting to think about for me that, uh, his intense dream could be like those moments of brilliance. And then the the present, which makes up the rest of the movie, is all these depressing backstage humdrum moments where he's like having these mumbly half conversations, sort of just like listlessly drinking from a bottle. And, <laughs> and, and this guy is playing pinball, like sort of like talking about how shit used to be kind of kind of crazy in the west village and so like (laughs) it starts to be becoming maybe like i wonder if that is that's something bob was thinking about Is like consciously making parts of it kind of depressing
2: i wonder i mean how could you not i I mean so much of the movie is very cold looking there are all these snowy it is winter yeah Yeah. Um, And and just a lot of like depressing locations, depressing hotel rooms and lunch rooms and, you know, offices. And then when he's on stage, he he, it's everything comes alive. Everything just becomes so much more electric.
1: Um,
2: Yeah. I mean, how could he not know that?
1: Uh, yeah, you you would have to imagine. What what do you guys make of uh, the fact that we have Bob playing Ronaldo and we have Ronnie Hawkins playing? And, Bob and yet you see on the
0: newspaper it says Dylan in town, and he's like holding it, and you're supposed to still believe that he's not Bob Dylan. I I was just right, thinking about yeah. like how impossible it would be to describe the the conceit of that to like. My mom or dad or anybody, anybody (laughs) just being like, well, you see, he's not um, supposed to be Bob. They just go, what?
1: There's a yeah, he's Bob is Ronaldo, but there's another guy who isn't Bob who in the movie is Bob. Yeah.
2: It, it takes a certain amount of balls to make a movie about yourself that way (laughs) where like you were, you were so confident in your own iconic status that like you can make this movie. That's a meditation on your public image and have something that it's a punchline
0: that, uh, when Ronnie Hawkins is introduced, they're like, uh, there's some reporter looking in yeah, the for hotel Bob.
1: that that hotel manager like brings him up in front of the microphone. And he's like, yeah, I guess yeah, I'm Bob they're like, <laughs> who is the real Bob
0: Dylan. He's like, uh, he's a hero of the first order. Um, he's, a, he's a great man. And then she goes like, uh, now why do you say that about yourself?
2: I, uh, yeah, I, th- I think it's fun. I don't know. I don't know if there's a greater meaning I can tease out of it. Other than that, like, uh, Dylan is aware that he is an icon and he feels somewhat alienated by that iconic status and the fact that his name and image mean so many different things that he has no control over. And so uh, he wants to kind of divorce himself from it or separate himself from it in some way. Yeah.
0: The other thing you see Ronnie Hawkins do, at least one of the more memorable scenes with him as, quote, Bob Dylan is like trying to sweet talk this girl into coming on to on board with the tour and um he's pretty charismatic as, as a screen presence it's sort of like I'm not trying to come on strong I just know that you're a lovely young woman and you'd have a great time I think you'd come back a wiser lady if you on this tour clearly
1: kind of greasy though (laughs) there's also this great scene uh i think kind of like halfway through the movie i i i was keeping a detailed kind of plot outline in my notes app uh, Uh, for the first hour of this and then i I looked back at it and was like this is just complete gibberish so i kind of gave up on it um but it's somewhere kind of in the in the halfway point where uh where uh ronnie hawkins is getting into like an argument with with quote-unquote sarah dylan played by Ronnie Blakely. Here's the other Altman connection that you guys haven't mentioned yet. She was in Nashville as Barbara Jean. Oh, right. Um, yeah. Um, and they get into this, like, kind of ugly and, like, sort of brutal argument when she's, like, doing her makeup in the mirror and and he just kind of comes out of nowhere and starts, like, being a real piece of shit to her and, like, kind of complaining about how much time it takes her to, like, get her shit together and like you know get herself done up and she's just like not having it and it like almost progresses to actual like kind of a physical altercation but it doesn't quite go there um it's it's fascinating that bob would allow that to be written into this movie and and i guess like actually kind of like showcase it in the middle of this movie uh even even with this like kind of mask that he has on um Uh, here in that he has someone else playing. Is that Ronnie
0: Hawkins who's Um, there during that part where he's like, come on, get going? Yeah, that's the two of them. I really thought that was a different guy. Correction,
1: Evan is right and Ian is wrong. Steve Soles plays a character named Ramon and is supposed to be Ronnie Blakely's boyfriend. Not Ronnie Hawkins as, quote, Bob Dylan. I think that speaks to the level of legibility that we I have. I mean, the, the movie story. doesn't
0: take great pains to um, make itself easy to read to the viewer. So I was, um, you know, like making dinner... Yeah,
1: it's, uh, I don't think anyone is going to hold it against you for not knowing exactly uh, who each character is. Uh, Harry Dean Stanton, of course, plays Lacizio, yeah. which you don't realize mm-hmm. until the uh, final credits. Is that
2: a Commedia dell'arte type of name? Oh, I do not that... claim to be a Comedia dell'arte expert. <laughs> I, I was conscious when Harry Dean Stanton showed up, but um, I, I didn't get a lot. He's... I thought
1: he was one of the bright spots in the movie. As he is in every movie. Just kind of puttering around...
2: Oh, it's great to see him. Yeah, you
1: love you love to see him.
2: Yeah,
0: we we just recently saw that he was um, in this video, this promo video for the bootleg series eight, uh, which was uh, called the one that's like all of the stuff from the early two thousand or eighty nine to like two thousand six, um, mm-hmm. and. It's a amazing video that I did not know existed, starring Harry Dean Stanton as, like, a Bob Dylan obsessive, like, roaming the countryside, watching Bob Dylan shows and collecting Dylan memorabilia. It's, um...
1: It's, it's very charming it to sounds see good. Their, good stuff. their relation It is good. It's much better than Ronaldo and Clara. Um, I, had, I had a question for you, uh, Will. I meant to bring this up during our discussion of the critical uh, uh, reception to this. Uh, but as the resident um, Ebert whisperer, um, oh, yes. what, uh, what what would Roger Ebert's take on Ronaldo and Clara have been?
2: Wow, good question. Well, we know that he gave Masked and Anonymous half a star. Yes, and I am going to say that it would have the same rating. I, I am going that low. I think he would give it half a star. That sounds um, about right. I, yeah, I think he would call it self indulgent uh, twaddle. And the oh, but what no did clothes. he give? Eight and a half.
0: You know what did he give? Stardust Memories. The other types of movies yeah. like this.
2: I know. A gr- true hypocrisy. I mean, those movies were in focus. You could follow them. <laughs> The, the dialogue was audible. <laughs> Can I ask you, have you guys watched Eat the Document yet? And are you able to compare it to that?
1: I've seen parts of it.
2: I've watched
0: it, but I have not seen it in forever. So I think we're going to have to like come back to that another time. We may do a um, don't look back slash eat the document um, like
2: mega episode or two
0: parter. Yeah. Double
1: feature.
2: Yeah. Well, I I saw Eat the Document a long time ago, and I had very much the same reaction to it as I did this, although fortunately it's like only an hour long, so it's a lot easier to get through. (laughs) Um, But I read a quote from Dylan talking about this movie where he said – the film is no puzzles it's a b c d but the composition's like a game the interest is not in the literal plot but in the associated texture colors images sounds and i mean i don't i don't know if i agree with them or i i quite understand that but it indicates that there at least in his mind there's some rhyme or reason to what we're seeing like and and it's not necessarily plot it's you know, some kind of like Joycean association thing. Tone
0: poem. Uh, The, the way that it ends, I think feels pretty um, true to that sort of sentiment. I mean, there's, there are definitely standout scenes for for that. I think are not musical necessarily like not performance scenes that still stand out as being Mm. memorable. And like, if you were to make a two hour or one or 90 minute version you would still.
1: They did make a two-hour version. It was also apparently very bad. Uh, it focused on just mostly the musical um, uh, elements. Uh, um...
2: Oh, it sounds better. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> I think that like
0: the part of David Blue, like you know, like chain smoking and playing pinball and like talking about how he how it used to be in in New York in the folk scene. That's like interesting. Um, there's some great bits. There's one really weird musical bit where Ginsburg is chanting with all these people and then there's these other guys doing this like goofy like summer camp-esque type of chant do you know what i'm talking about uh yes i do
2: remember that scene
1: uh,
2: yeah, 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 go go baby uh, do yeah, 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 go
3: go baby uh, do yeah, 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 go go baby it's yeah, yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. oh, really weird sounding.
1: Was that the Was that the, the scene when someone's muttering like, "Please fuck me, please that's fuck me"? Or was that's that another. another scene.
0: One? There's some great Ginsburg moments where <laughs> that that happens. Um, Ginsburg dancing is really good. He's doing a lot of dancing in here. Um, there's actually also a really good Joan Baez dancing moment where she's really. Oh, yeah, when she comes
1: on stage and she's doing that, like, kind of, like, almost, like, Mm hippie-looking dance, but, you know, 10 years after the fact.
0: The whole movie kind of makes the 70s seem embarrassing and lame.
1: Right.
2: (laughs) It's funny, because when I watch the Scorsese documentary, I get, I get, I feel very positive. I got all worked up and excited about, you know, uh... Uh, this freewheeling creative experiment well, the, that they had.
0: the actual performance is like outside of the 70s. It feels like a timeless thing. Mm. But when you see what went into putting that show on, and it is just like weird outfits, like people just like smoking inside like a hamburger shop and just like loving the sound of their own voice. It's kind of like, I don't know just gross like, <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> you want that like the end result like which is that great stuff that you barely see in this movie uh but but really did exist
2: which is the rolling thunder yeah uh in in its full glory well gosh I wish I could defend the movie a little more I wish I I wish I could be the guy who's like no don't you see don't you see uh that
1: was, yeah, that was the role that I was totally prepared to adopt, especially after our, I think, kind of universal praise of Master Anonymous, which we all agreed was sort of a, like a ahead of its time, uh, like accidental masterstroke, uh, in some senses, at least. Um, this is decidedly not that. This is just sort of, sort of a snooze, sort of a pain in the ass. I'm
0: starting to feel like I might be, of the three of us, the one who's going to do that a little bit. But barely. Okay. I mean,
1: <laughs> here comes the contrarian.
0: I I just think that um, there is uh, there is something that's being tried here. Uh, I mean, it seems like Dylan is just so green as a filmmaker that he like really doesn't know how to pull it off. I don't doubt that he put in a lot of effort to do it, but there's a difference between putting in effort when you are in, in like peak control of the art form versus effort just to get like a big thing off the ground and so for the moments that I think do work I just think it's worth giving Dylan credit for that as like uh, you know something that is totally unique and can't there's really some interesting
2: moments uh that's as far as I'm gonna go it's interesting to see like what happens when Dylan tries to make a movie and tries to bring the same sort of aesthetic that he brought to songwriting to the film form. I think it works a little better when you have someone like Larry Charles at the reins. Say yes. Larry you know. Charles. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's interesting that this movie is unavailable in any kind of official form and that given, given how laboriously Dylan worked over it and how much, blood sweat and tears he put into it it seems to be suppressed you and know, how t-
1: deeply his creative team has just mined his archives at this point like you you have to imagine that like someone's got like a nice restored cut of this or that they could make a nice restored cut of this and then sell it to dylan Aldis and stuff for however much at this point
2: it would have made sense to do it when the scorsese documentary <laughs> came out right you know but uh uh, but I guess not. It's, is, it yeah. seems, if anything, that the Scorsese documentary has was this attempt by Team Dylan to kind of like supplant this movie. Yeah, I think they uh, kind of like
1: extracted the most compelling elements of this movie, which is just the performances, and then kind of repackaged them in this much more compelling and well put together, you know, uh, uh, form.
2: Which is too bad, because even though I don't think I would ever love Ronaldo and Clara, it would be nice to see it. It would be nice to do justice to it, a little more. In, in on the other form.
0: hand,
1: yeah, just giving, just putting the footage in in like bright, you know, nice high definition and and mixing the sound well, I think would make this movie some percentage better, just based on that.
0: Yeah. On the other hand, when those people saw it when it came out, it was presumably looking pretty good on that big screen, and they thought it was the worst piece of shit they'd ever seen.
1: I guess that is true.
2: Well, like we said, they were uh, disillusioned by the failure of the 60s. They
0: didn't know that so much more glorious music was to come.
2: Yeah, that's right.
1: Yeah, such, uh, there were such heights um, to, uh, to reach still further. Do you guys have a favorite kind of performance or song or something uh, throughout?
2: Oh, wow. There there are so many that I liked. I mean, Tangled Up in Blue, I think, would be my pick just off the top of my head. Right, I think, uh, you know, uh, very, very great, intense performance of that.
1: I am quite partial to not even a Bob song on this one. Uh, towards the end, Joan Baez does a cover of Suzanne, yeah, the Leonard great. Cohen song, uh, another Altman connection. Suzanne, obviously, so memorably used in McCabe and Mrs. Miller. Mm-hmm. Um uh, it's, it's just like haunting. It's beautiful. It's, it's like I, I, I wish there was a recording that I could just listen to on my own. It's, it's fantastic.
0: I just like looking at Bob Dylan's teeth so much. Yeah. Um, <laughs> they're not no, they're that bad. The that village the, voice was so the, pissed. The village voice person said, "Yeah, they said bad teeth. Like they were really just trying to tear him down any way they could." I think his teeth look pretty good, <laughs> and um, yeah, I mean that tangled up in blue is great. Uh, the one of the uh, performance of ISIS, I think, is great. You just see such a, um, you, you do get the sense of just like kind of like whoa, he remembers so many words. And not only does he remember them, but he's able to like actually seem to he seems to be like thinking and and uh, and, and bringing them to life
2: um, with like such great intensity on these
0: performances.
2: And and he still does. You never know at what concert he might like bust out Lenny Bruce. Right. Or some other <laughs> deep cut. You know.
1: the, the iconic Linda Roos. That's been, that's been being played on the Never Ending Tour uh, quite a bit uh, recently. I think he brought that back in a big I'd way. I'd watch him play, yeah,
0: uh, rules. you know, wiggle wiggle five times in a row right now and be a happy man. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, uh, I guess, do we have any, any final thoughts? I feel like this has sort of been a scattershot all over the place assessment of this movie, but I think given the movie that we're talking about, that seems sort of appropriate.
2: Yes, I did my best, gentlemen. Uh, should should we give it uh, the rating? Last time we gave it a rating. I think we
1: three. we do need to give it a, a three stars. Yeah. Uh, a, a breakdown here. Uh, Will do you have uh, do you have an assessment for us?
2: Yeah, I'm going to give it two. Whoa, um, two. All right. Which maybe sounds a little bit generous, but. I think uh, for for the and I think this just speaks to the fact that like every Dylan thing gets two or above for me. Maybe uh, <laughs> I don't know. Maybe maybe down in the groove gets one. I don't know. But this has some good concert footage that when you see it in HD in the Scorsese doc is pretty great. And it's just interesting as as a failed experiment. It's interesting as. Yeah, it's interesting as a failed experiment, and, and therefore it gets two. Fair yeah. sure enough. No. <laughs> Rock, right. paper,
1: scissors, shoot. Um, shit, this is, uh, see, this is where the three-star system really just is so challenging, because if if ever there were a time that I want to give something one and a half stars, mm-hmm. it's yeah. this. It's a soft yeah. two for me. It's Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, I'm going to I'm going to have to give it a 1. I just uh, you know, I I I want to I want to have a, an appreciation for it. Um, and you know, that's the thing with the one star system. A one star or th- the three star system. A one still star still pretty good still star. Yeah. One Michelin star still pretty good. Um, yeah. you know, uh, you know, it but it just doesn't it doesn't really. It's painful to get through and there I, I really don't know that there's anything else in Bob's entire um uh history, even the movies, even Hearts of Fire. Uh, that is as painful to get there
0: i don't know as this is. <laughs> try so. watching that one again and <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll just
2: say, like in this movie, Ronaldo and Clara, it's four hours long. There's a lot of boredom, but every 15 minutes you're guaranteed a yeah, good scene yeah, or a good that's song. That's true.
1: That's that's true. Uh, part of my part of my my low rating on this might have to do with the fact that I also just watched another four hour just absolute <laughs> piece of shit, the the Snyder cut last weekend. Whoa, so woof. that plus Ronaldo and Clara in the span of seventy two hours, I just I kind of feel like I'm on edge a little bit right now. <laughs>
0: I, I'm gonna help you out, Ian. Um I'm gonna throw another one star into the mix so we can call it like Jokerman gives it two cumulatively.
2: <laughs> All right. Well, I respect I guess, the one star grade for this for sure.
1: I guess you are the ultimate defender of this, then Will. <laughs> thank thank you for adopting that role.
2: Oh, wow. Well, you know, if, if Bob Dylan hears this, I hope that's what he takes away. I hope he understands that I am the one who understands Ronaldo and Clara.
1: Fair enough. Um, well, uh, I guess that will uh, that will about do it for us here. Uh, will, where, where can uh, the vast Jokerman audience uh, find you and follow you and hear you uh, wax rhapsodic on other great uh, motion pictures?
2: Well, I've got two podcasts, if you can believe that. One of them is called the Important Cinema Club. Uh, one of them is called Michael and Us. And I am on Twitter at Will Sloan Esq.
1: Will Sloan uh, Esquire. Esquire, the, uh, yes. Yeah. The the, uh, the the greatest lawyer in all of Canada and all. Both Canada. great
0: podcasts, by the way. I'm a long time listener, um, and uh, I can recommend both of those podcasts and the Twitter that uh, Will has as well. It's good.
2: Uh, thank you. So, Very kind.
1: Few in the game are as uh, are as able to switch seamlessly between the high and the low as oh. you, uh, and uh, and and pay uh, such thoughtful attention to uh, to both ends of the spectrum that that deserve
2: it. Well, that's very kind. Thank you.
0: So next time uh, when we get 100 Patreon subscribers, uh, join us when I have to go see the Bob Dylan musical on Broadway or something. <laughs>
1: that's gonna be all worth it
0: well you should fly out we'll all go love to
1: (laughs) yeah we'll meet in manhattan for the worst night of
0: our lives (laughs) we'll go to sardis (laughs) and we'll see the bus (laughs) you know what
2: i'm just gonna say right now i give it a two because because when you start hearing that music just in a in a broadway theater i think you're gonna be happy
1: You're going to be snapping your fingers, stomping your feet. You're going to have a smile on your face. Yeah. Jokerman. In the morning,
3: when the moon is at its rest, you will see me at the time I love the best. Building castles in the shifting sands in a world that no one understands. In the morning... Tis the morning of my life In the daytime You will meet me as before You will see me Waiting by the ocean floor Building castles In the shifting sands In a world That no one understands In the morning Tis the morning of my life In the morning of my life, the minutes take so long to drift away. Please be patient with your life. It's only morning and you've still to live your day. In the evening... I will fly you to the moon To the top right-hand corner Of the ceiling in my room Where we'll stay Until the sun shines Another day We'll swing on clotheslines And I'll be yawning Till the morning of my life In the morning In the morning in the morning of my life The minutes take so long to drift away Please be patient with your life It's only morning and you still to live your day In the evening I will fly you to the moon To the top right hand corner of the ceiling in my room Where we'll stay until the sun shines And oh the day we'll swing on clotheslines, and I'll be yawning till the morning of my life, till the morning of my life, till the morning of my
2: life. Thank you very much. It's so kind.